Welcome to Punk Rock Personal Development, a podcast about getting your shit together and creating a life you love. I'm your host, Sarah Stars, and every week I speak to inspiring badasses about the nitty-gritty of how they live with passion and purpose. My guests and I might embrace a bit of woo-woo every now and again, but we also get really honest about what it takes to grapple with your demons, transform your life, truly accept yourself, and strike out in the direction of your dreams. Because personal development only works if you do. That's what's so punk rock about it. Hello, and welcome to Punk Rock Personal Development, episode 27. You can access all of the show notes for this episode at Sarah Stars, that's S-T-A-R-R-S, sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 27. Today I'm sharing an interview with Anna Ottman. Anna is a ghostwriter and fiction author who helps female entrepreneurs discover their story and share it with the world. We had a deep, soulful conversation about what self-care really means, how to stop it from feeling like another thing on your to-do list, making time for ourselves in the midst of our busy lives, and setting healthy boundaries. This is the conversation that I've had so many women asking for, and there are so many great insights to dig into, so I'm really excited to share it with you. Hey Anna, how are you today? Good. I'm I'm well. I'm really excited to have you on the show. And we were introduced, E introduced by our mutual friend, Aurora Lady, who was a previous podcast guest. So that's very cool. Yeah, I love Aurora. So for anyone who doesn't know you and your work yet, can you share a little bit about your story? Who are you and what do you do? Sure. Uh, well, my name is Anna Ottman, and I'm a ghostwriter for women business owners, and I'm also a literary fiction writer. Um, and as a ghostwriter, what that means is I write for women, uh, women's businesses online, and they get to say um, that they wrote it. Um, and so things like their blog posts, newsletters, online course content, sales pages, and all that fun stuff. Um, And then I also help women with their um, lead magnets, building email lists, and um, getting more people excited about the work that they're doing. So what led you to doing this work? Have you always been working in writing? (laughs) Yes and no. (laughs) Um, I I was a writer from a young age. Um, As a a child, I always loved to read and write. Um, But in my professional life, I definitely took a windy track towards where I am now. Um, In college, I actually majored in Chinese, um, which is nothing to do with English, really. (laughs) And, um, and I kind of had fun with that challenge. um, And I studied abroad. I, I did that because I thought that it would make you know, getting a job and making a living really easy. You know, I saw that as a way to Um, make myself kind of indispensable in the business world. And I don't know what I was thinking, because um, it really didn't appeal to my creative side. Um, And so after college, I switched tracks a little bit. um, And then I started working in the nonprofit world. And um, I started doing communications and eventually became a lobbyist for anti-violence against women nonprofits, and um, did a lot of work with uh, women survivors of violence, and then uh, would try and convince people in in the U.S. on Capitol Hill to 
uh, have send money their way um, in terms of uh, domestic violence shelters and rape crisis centers and that kind of thing. That work, um, lovely, uh, totally burnt me out after about eight years. And um, I kind of was in a spot where I took stock of everything that I had done up to that point, And I was thinking about my next steps. And um, there was some kind of either divine guidance or my own inner mentor finally spoke up and was like, you have always loved writing and reading. That's what your life needs to be about. Like, that's what's going to make you happy. And so I, I realized that I had all these um, copywriting skills and communication skills and messaging skills from my my career um, working in the nonprofit world. And so I started freelancing. Um, and that process led me to creating the business I have today. Um, but it started small. Um, it started, you know, one project at a time. And it started just knowing that I wanted to really have more autonomy over the work I did and um, the kinds of people I worked with and the schedule I wanted to have and all that good stuff. <laughs> so that's um, a very quick way of, of talking about how I got here. But I'm happy to dive into any aspect of that. I love hearing that because I think there's so much pressure on young people to kind of like figure out what they want to do so early on. And, you know, there's so much kind of stigma around not knowing what you want to major on in in university and all of that stuff. And then for myself, and it sounds like for you and so many people that I talk to in reality, our careers are a whole series of kind of false starts and synchronicities before we end up doing the work that we really ultimately want to do and share with the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you think of the people you know, I mean, are is anyone you know actually doing what they majored in? <laughs> for a living now I mean, as, like you know I in university philosophy and english so like how do i even do that for a living yeah. unless i'm a professor <laughs> yeah totally right and it's just you know usually when you're in university that time of your life um you're you have no idea i mean you really have you think you know everything but you really have no idea about what you really want and there's a lot of um there's a lot of external pressure about what you're doing at that point and your life. And it, I find it's more useful to actually just follow what you're interested in. And your major, um, among other things, really doesn't matter at all, <laughs> unless in except to say that it should be something that you know, you're actually interested in studying for four years. That's it. <laughs> I completely agree. And like, I mean, I feel like so many of my peers ended up feeling like they got a useless degree. But for me, you know, mm -hmm. it taught me so much about who I am. And also, I was I don't even know if I was being intentional or if it was just a byproduct of I didn't want to work at a smoothie shack anymore and I needed to pay my way through school. So I was somewhat intentional about finding work experiences that spoke to my strengths and interests. And I think if you are following what interests you, you are going to end up building up kind of a an array of experiences, whether they directly relate or if it's a bit more abstract that will help you further out down the line if it's either starting a business or, or getting a job. Oh, totally. And... You know, that's something that's, I mean, there's a lot of talk about following your passion and finding your purpose. And that's kind of can can be a little bit overwhelming and daunting to people, I think. Um, but actually thinking about it in terms of just following what interests you 
I mean, that's one of the most natural things in the world and it can feel really effortless. Um, and you know, I know whenever I've done that, just naturally followed things that I'm interested in, it's led to really unexpected, you know, wonderful developments in my life or a deeper sense of purpose and work, you know, kind of the byproducts, um, of following your interests are really, really, I don't know, they're a lot bigger than you think you would when you start out just following an interest, <laughs> you know, I mean, cause it, cause, because following interest and interest can be so easy and um, feel very natural. Um, something as simple as liking a certain subject and picking up a book on the topic, you know? Um, and so I love that way of thinking about it more than the, like figure out all your passions and then find a way to make a living from them, which doesn't really serve people that well, I don't think. <laughs> I completely agree. And I think that, yeah, it's it's really daunting and overwhelming to try and find this big picture life purpose. But for me, it's been this kind of constant. And when I look back, it's like actually been a lifelong journey. And I'm sure it still is on honing in mm -hmm. on where my zone of genius is and how I can best serve the world and what lights me up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. A really beautiful um, story that Rebecca Campbell shares in her book, Light is the New Black, um, mm. about how she, when she was in a really dark place, decided that she was just going to do the smallest little things that kind of lit her up and struck her interest. And one of those things was um, just buying herself flowers every week and, you know, spending a pretty significant, what felt at the time, a pretty significant amount of money. I think it was $20 every week just on flowers. And she kind of bring, brings in this non-linear picture of how that led to all of these other things that she slowly introduced into her life, which ultimately ended up with her achieving this dream of becoming a published author. But she could never have known at the beginning that that journey would take her there because it would have felt too big and too daunting and overwhelming. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why listening to those, those strange, what feel like strange little pools of your heart um, can be so life changing. Um, and when you dismiss the little things that you hear uh, for either from your intuition or otherwise just internally pulling you, um, I think that's really to your own detriment and is just leading you farther and farther away from what you're really here to do um, in this lifetime. And so, yeah, I love that. I love that story. And, and I agree that that's happened in my own life as well. <laughs> so I'm really curious about people's kind of creative processes. So mm. do you have, you know, particular writing practices? Do you have rituals that you need to do to kind of get focused and start writing? What does that look like for you? Mm. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I think part of it has been, uh, you know, un recognizing and understanding. The more I write, the more I know the kind of um, <clears throat> elements that need to be in place in order to actually do my best work. And so what that looks like for me is um, the morning is actually the best time to write. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on the kind of writing I'm doing, um, whether it's for, for clients, for uh, marketing, for my studio, or my fiction writing, um, actually really doesn't matter. Um, but just that I do it first thing. Um, and really, you know, 
things like checking email or looking at my social media accounts pull me out of um, myself and they put me into the external external world. And really when I'm writing, what I need to be is really connected to, to myself and my own kind of inner um, creative. And so as much as possible, I, um, you know, don't check email or social media or anything like that um, right before I write. Um, and I have a, have, you know, chunks of time in the morning to be able to dedicate to writing, um, so that I don't feel, you know, a time crunch or time pressure that it can kind of unfold as it needs to as quickly or slowly as it might. Um, and I, let's see, there's lots of rituals because <laughs> as writers, we're kind of like superstitious and we all have our little, little quirks and habits. But, um, I think another one of mine is, um, is the environment and place. And so I have a desk where I do my fiction writing. Um, but I, I do not do my studio work on that desk. I do not do my client work on that desk. I only do my fiction writing on that desk. And for some reason, that works for me. <laughs> it, um, you know, for, for other people, it may be some other configuration. Um, but even to the point where I have, and, um, you know, not everyone can have this, but I actually have an older computer that I use for my fiction writing that only, only serves for kind of word processing and that's about it. Um, and then I have a studio computer that I work, use for my client work. So even that distinction for me is really important. Um, uh, so kind of the environment, place, where I'm working and how. And then I guess the other thing I would say is I love, um, I love scents. Um, uh, and I, I like um, lighting candles, incense um, at the start of a writing session and then maybe blowing out the candle at the end of it. Um, if I'm doing client work, I love to be able to get into um, one way I get into a client's voice is to kind of maybe um, put on an essential oil or smell an essential oil that reminds me of them or their business. And then maybe I have a playlist or some other kind of um, auditory trigger that helps me get into their world a little bit. Um, actually, I also do that with fiction writing sometimes with, with like certain characters or scenes that there's music or types of things that remind me of this character. I, I use um, sense and uh, um all my five senses, of course, but like sense specifically smell and then um, sound and music in some way to actually help me trigger that that creative process. <laughs> so that's probably a lot more than you wanted to hear, but there's no, a, there's a snippet of it. <laughs> I love hearing all of those things because it can vary so much from person to person. But then there's also seems to be those kind of those anchoring things that whether whether they're different anchors, that kind of seems to be a common theme among people. Mm -hmm. And do you write every day? I write about um, six days a week. Usually I take Sundays off, um, but I'm always writing. And by that, I mean, I have lots of little notebooks and um, other kind of like scraps of paper or pads of paper that I'm always kind of scribbling on. So even if it's not at a computer, you know, opening a word processing document, it's I'm always kind of 
writing or thinking about writing. So <laughs> yeah, it kind of becomes yeah. inescapable, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 taken over my life. Yeah, <laughs> in a, in the best way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you don't want to. If the muse comes, you can't exactly say no. Yes, yes. So one of the things we wanted to talk about today is self-care, which is a term that gets bandied around a lot and some people are really into it and for some terms, for some people it's it's really, it doesn't really speak to them, I guess. So I'm curious, how would you define self-care? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would define it very simply as giving yourself what you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that's um you know knowing what you need and then actually giving it to yourself are are two very different things and I don't think it's um it comes naturally to a lot of women um it's something that I kind of had to learn or relearn in my adult life um and especially um, while I'm running a business and, and also having creative work, as many, many women nowadays do, we have all these different exciting projects going on. Um, but yeah, so folk, so knowing what you need and then giving it to yourself, um, knowing what you need, that's, that's often the trickier part. Um, you know, I think sometimes we, can, there's so much nowadays that we can use to, I don't know, relax. And I'm using air quotes here um, at the end of the day or throughout the day, whether that's um, like Netflix or um, some other kind of TV or food or there's kind of these these comforts that we that many people give ourselves um, that I think aren't really actually caring for us, um, especially as women. And so, you know, for me, things like knowing what I need, it, it could be as simple as getting up from a debt from my desk and stretching for five minutes, um, taking a bath on certain days, uh, walking and listening to podcasts. I mean, it can be whatever you want, but I think the, the point is, is starting to experiment with the different ways of taking care of yourself and noticing what actually feels really good. Um, and then the second part of that is actually giving it to yourself. So, I mean, you know, I know, I know for me, one of the things is I know I need healthy food <laughs> to keep me going for the day. I mean, everyone needs that, but Yes, I so I know that's one thing I need for myself. But actually giving it to myself and not just um, you know, eating the microwave burritos at my desk while I'm answering email. Um, you know, those are two very different things. And so actually giving myself permission to what's usually to take what's usually extra time or effort to give myself exactly what I know I need is I think the second step in self-care. Um, and you know, it's every day is not like a self-care wonderland in my world. <laughs> you know, it's not like every week is I have weeks where I take better care of myself than others. I have, um, you know, weeks that are really heavy production weeks for for clients. And then I have weeks where I am back to kind of my regular um, routines and schedule and taking care of myself. So I do think there's, 
there's natural rhythms in work and life and seasons that, um, that affect self-care. Um, but I also think that there are kind of fundamental non-negotiables that each of us have that are unique to us. Um, and that should be kind of essential regardless of what's going on in your external world. I think that's a really great definition because with anything, it seems like self-care can become a thing that people feel like they should be doing. Like, you know, I I should be taking a bubble bath or I should be (laughs) drinking green smoothies rather than going through that process of checking in with yourself and seeing what you need and then acting on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, green smoothies are great. Green juice is great, but some, it may not be for everyone. It may not be for you in this season of your life right now. (laughs) and if you don't like it um like give yourself what you like and need and want (laughs) you know don't force yourself into external perceptions of what your self-care should look like I mean because the whole thing with self-care is that it's directed it's internally um you know generated and and directed and given to yourself it has nothing to do with anyone else (laughs) absolutely and I think like the anxiety from from not doing the things that you think should be doing is way more harmful than, you know, like it doesn't, the benefits don't outweigh the cost if you're putting a lot of pressure and anxiety on yourself to drink the green smoothies, but actually don't enjoy them. And you can't find, can't quite figure out how to squeeze them into your day. Then maybe that's not the right thing for you because that anxiety is going to be really harmful as well. Oh, totally. And, you know, I'm, I'm also a big fan of like, there's the, there's the dream scenario of what life would look like. And then there's the, but what's actually happening for me right now. And what, at the, at the most fundamental base level, what do I need? (laughs) So, you know, of course, like I would love for someone to make me green smoothies every day. I'd probably drink them. Um, But what, what could be even better is just drinking tea right now because that's what I have access to it takes me two seconds and I know I can give that to myself and it feels good you know so I think there's this um and I think especially in kind of the world you know you live in and and a lot of maybe women who are listening to this live in there's there's uh there's a lot of lifestyles that are projected um, as being kind of the pinnacle to get to and reach. Um, but that may look so different from your reality that it just serves to actually either depress you, give you more anxiety about how your life is different from everyone else's and, um, doesn't really help you take care of yourself. And so, you know, I'd rather see someone actually take stock of, of, what their life is like, like the reality <laughs> of, you know, do I have a juicer? Do I have a blender that actually blends properly? If I don't, like, okay, you can go out and get one, but maybe there's something in your life right now that you can give yourself that has nothing to do with those things and can be really simple and doesn't require extra time or money or effort and just requires the intention for you to take care of yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've sat down before and tried to plot out what my kind of ideal 
morning routine would look like and you know if you, <laughs> you want to get in all of the things that everyone says you should do it ends up being like this two oh my or gosh. three hour routine and it, I know. it's just kind of exhausting <laughs> before you've even started your day and so yeah it's great to look at how you can start building those things into your life but for me it was looking at okay what are the non-negotiables what have I tried that I know make the biggest impact in my life and for me that's sitting in meditation in the morning and I mean I usually do have a green smoothie for breakfast, but that's just become very routine for me as well. But it was just looking at what those things are for me, but things that have the biggest impact for someone else could be totally different. And while I usually like to sit in meditation for 20 minutes, if one morning I can only really sit there for two minutes or five minutes, it's I think realizing that part of the self-care is being flexible and being gentle with myself in those moments as well. Yeah, yes. And, um, you know, I, when you said not, um, you know, non-negotiables, yes, that's exactly it. And I think if, if most women are honest with themselves, I mean, in terms of like, say movement, um, and uh, food and maybe, you know, your mind, um, there are only maybe one or two non-negotiables in each of those categories that you really need to be at your best. Um, it's not, you know, it's not about creating a laundry list of things to do. It's like, what is most important for you to be at your kind of, you know, baseline, um, you know, Sarah or whatever it is, and then, you know, be able to actually do the work that you want to do in the world. Um, and, you know, so if for everyone, it's not going to be a green smoothie, but for some people it is, um, for, for some people, it's going to be actually going to the gym or having a regular exercise routine. And for other people, their movement non-negotiable is just taking a walk three days a week. Um, but yeah, but so again, you know, it's, there's no prescription. There's no, all it takes is like tuning into yourself and, and keeping it simple and easy and supportive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it it really comes down to experimentation, doesn't it? It's like, it's, Mm. it's just experimenting and rather putting all of this pressure on yourself to find the one thing and do it all the time right away. It's just experimenting and finding out what those things are for you. Mm -hmm. And maybe even sitting down and making a list of all of the things that you know make you feel good. And, you know, some things might take an hour, half an hour, or five minutes. And having a real range of things so that when you are checking in with yourself and you know you need a little boost, if you're feeling a bit uninspired about what you might need, you can kind of pull that out and say, okay, here's something I could give to myself right now. Oh, exactly. I've had those lists before. um, And, you know, my intention is to use those on those not so great days. So, you know, like when I need a boost, um, I I have a list that I can go go to and just kind of pick one from the list and not even think about it. Because otherwise, you know, self-care is great, like on your good days, um, and everything's fine and everything's working and you feel like you're on top of the world. Um, but that's not going to be every day. And so I think the real test of how you take care of yourself is, is how you take care of yourself on the, on the bad days, um, on the days when you don't feel good about yourself, when you're anxious, um, when you're worried about work or other things, um, and, you know, how you really treat yourself then is, is the real indication of, of where you're at in terms of your self-support and, and whether you could benefit from um, being more intentional about taking care of yourself. Yeah, I think intention is a really good word there. 
And so I'm curious, do you have any daily or maybe weekly self-care non-negotiables? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about it so much. What are yours, Anna? Come on. Um, <laughs> well, um, yes and no. So um, my my non-negotiables are um, time alone in the morning to uh, kind of ground and center myself. Uh, so I sometimes meditate. I sometimes don't. Um, mostly... I drink um, a cup of warm water with some lemon juice and um, just sit down and, and read, um, be quiet, you know, maybe light a candle, just kind of get back into myself um, after, after the night. Um, another non-negotiable really for me is my hot yoga. Um, I do it two times a week, which is not crazy, but um, I've seen what I'm like wh on the weeks when I don't take take those classes, and I much prefer the self when I'm taking those classes. So that's one. Um, what else? Uh, well, I drink lots of water. Um, and another non-negotiable is is um, because I work at home and I work by myself. Um, another non-negotiable for me is kind of reaching out to people throughout the week, um, as I feel called to. Um, and that, that's a little bit more, it's not like a one-time thing that I do with one person, but it's more, um, for me, I, I have a ten tendency to isolate, um, myself and it's easy to do as a writer. You're just in your writer's cave and you can do that for weeks on end. Um, but I much prefer to actually um, be remember that I'm human and um, there's a reason that, uh, you know, I'm human and want to be around other humans and want to talk to other humans is because it, it feels good. And so um, part of my non-negotiables is actually making sure I'm regularly talking to people, um, whether that's just text or um, actually in person um, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter, but more that I'm actually doing it and reaching out. And so something that you touched on already is, you know, kind of making the time for self-care. And I think a lot of women seem to manage to make time for everything else other than themselves. So wondering if you have any thoughts or tips for prioritizing self-care. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like everything else, um, it's, it, I mean, for me, it's been, experimenting and then figuring out what works. Um, one thing I don't think is acknowledged as much is that, that your self-care and, and what you do is probably going to be pr very dependent on the season of life you're in. Um, and, you know, whether you have kids, whether you live with someone else, um, where you live, and then also what time of year it is, um, what else is going on in your life externally. Because, I mean, for women, even though that that internal connection is so important, we're just kind of wired to keep track of, of everything else that's going on in our world. And to deny that that has an impact on our self-care is actually, I think, does more harm than good. So, you know, for example, when I lived alone it was a lot easier to do 
you know, self-care whenever I wanted, however I wanted. Um, and all it took was kind of just my own initiative and maybe discipline. Um, but when there are other people involved, <laughs> which most people have that, um, are, are dealing with that right now, um, I think there, there you have to find the right balance between um, kind of the rhythms of your home life um, that are already in place and then what you know to be true about your own needs. And so, for example, um, for me, for some reason, the morning is really kind of a sacred time. Um, it's when I feel most connected to myself. It's when I get my best work done. Um, there's something about it that I that I need kind of for myself um, to, to do my work and to be the best version of myself. Um, and so, and, and so in the mornings, you know, I, I kind of have my own, you know, my, my partner knows that, you know, to, to leave me alone during this time. And then I have this, you know, we've, we've talked about how, this time I need this time for myself. Um, and, and so now we have it. Um, whereas in the, in the evenings, I'm definitely more, um, you know, more social, like around family or friends or whatever it is and can kind of, um, am happy to kind of give my, of myself then because I've taken that time for myself already in the morning. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is, um, to remember that self-care is not another thing on your to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you can add it to, do, to your to-do list, if that helps you, you know, actually kind of have the discipline to make it happen. Um, it's really, it's so much more essential to your, to your being as a, as a woman and as a human than, than something that's, that's on your to-do list. Um, and and by that I mean kind of paying attention to what you naturally again are drawn to and how you want to do it and win. <laughs> um, you know, if you're if you're cranky because you know you're not getting the alone time you need at this specific time, like maybe that's an indication that there's some kind of discussion that you could have um, with your family or partner around. You know, you know, needing that time to actually um, do your self care, or um, whether it's a night or weekend or whatever it is, um, is kind of paying attention to where where you also get um, maybe I don't know. Cranky is is kind of uh, I mean I I know that women feel cranky, but I also hate that hate using that to describe how women feel because I think it's kind of I don't know just misogynistic so um just when you feel like kind of irritated or or you don't feel quite yourself um that may be an indication that there's might be some kind of need or boundary you have that's that's either being crossed or a need that's not being met um and so honestly sometimes I use those kind of things as an indication for myself that I can um, help to put some self-care habits or routines in place. Um, because I know, I mean, for me, I, I sometimes don't know that I have a need or a boundary until I don't get it or until the boundary is crossed. Um, you know, and so other people may feel, <laughs> may experience the same thing. And so it's kind of like this constant, 
um, you know, self-awareness and then readjustment. Yeah. And I think so many of us struggle to set healthy boundaries with people and with our work. Like either we're (laughs) afraid we'll disappoint people or if we put parameters on the relationship that, you know, that that will cause them to dislike us. And, you know, with our work, we're afraid if we stop working. I mean, so many things that we can be afraid of, but failing or being seen as lazy. So I'm curious, like, what do you think? How do you think is a good way to start thinking about boundaries in our life and really setting them in an intentional way? Mm. Well, um, I guess a couple of things. I mean, I start with the intention that um, that connection is is good and valuable and that's that's how I want to relate to people you know I want to feel connected and so boundaries are not about a wall it's about being able to connect better with people Mm. um and I guess the other thing I would say is that we really have to um tell people how to treat us and so it's it's on us as individuals to to tell others in our lives, whether it's clients or bosses or colleagues or partners, how we want to be treated. Um, they're not mind readers. You know, only you know exactly how you want to be treated and what boundaries you need to be in place to do, you know, the work in your world, in the world that you want to do and be a, you know, wonderful human being fully expressed like you want to be. And so, I mean, I think it starts with, okay, so the intention is that I want to have a relationship with this person and I want to be connected. And then I have to dictate, kind of not dictate, but I have to share what those boundaries are and the terms of how I want to relate to these people. So, that that's kind of an individual responsibility thing. And and that's where I, I would start. Um, and then I guess the other thing I would say is it, it, it back along, you know, going back to self care for a minute. Again, we, we often don't know what our boundaries are until they've been crossed. Mm-hmm. And so when a boundary is crossed for you, um, you know, recognize it, understand what's what's just happened like wow why why do I feel like crap or like why am I so angry about this like how have I actually told someone that this is not um you know the way to work or communicate or be treated I mean aside from actually just um, just being a basic decent human being (laughs) um you know some people don't have that but but most people you know know that okay at a a basic human being level like let's treat each other well um and then if they've crossed a boundary of yours it's i mean nine times out of ten it's completely unintentional and it's because you you maybe weren't clear in your communication about what you actually needed and wanted um and so I actually, I used to really get um, frustrated with with kind of um, boundaries being crossed. And, and now I, I welcome them more as signals for me t- that and opportunities to um, be more clear and communicate better, um, which is kind of the, at the essence of so much... Um, I guess I think struggle and um, worry and just 
strife for people is there is like a failure or miscommunication between people. And so I think boundaries is, and, and knowing what yours are and, and communicating yours are one of the, the loveliest ways to actually, um, actually connect to people better and deeper. Mm, I love that. It seems like everything we're talking about today really comes down to this deepening your own self-awareness so that you can know what you need and you want and then, you know, communicate that and also act from this place of intention. Exactly. Um, I know that there will be some people who who are really afraid or anxious of having these difficult conversations with people. And I'm wondering, since you're an expert communicator in your work, <laughs> do you have any advice of maybe how to bring that up with some real grace and kindness and to kind of put their minds at ease when they bring up those difficult conversations when a boundary has been crossed? Mm. Um, well, I mean, the first thing I would say is um, – give it space. Don't immediately react when something's happened. Um, you know, even if it's just overnight or 24 hours, you know, whether if it's an email that comes into your inbox or whatever it is, if you can actually give yourself the space of, of time, um, that's huge. <laughs> um, so I'd start there. Um, and then depending on how you communicate and f best and how you feel you're most persuasive would I would I think be the the next step and so you know for me I know it's through writing um I write better than I speak which you people can probably tell from this podcast interview um and so uh you know I always kind of first kind of write down what I want to say or how I want to say it um to even better understand the the message um, for other people, it may be kind of speaking aloud a note into your an, a voice note in your phone, or or talking through it with with someone else with another person before actually having the conversation with the with the person you need to have it with. Um, and then I guess the third thing is when you're actually you know delivering the news or sharing sharing an updated you know communication style preference or whatever it is. Um, would be to to start the conversation with the intention that you really have, which is in most cases, you know, I'm sharing this because I want to, you know, be a better um, service provider, client, uh, boss, um, worker, partner, you know, sister, daughter, whatever it is. Um, kind of share that first instead of launching into here's what here's what you did wrong and here's why it should never happen again you know starting with the I, I want to be I'm sharing this because I want to be better at what I do or my role or how we our relationship um, be specific as to what happened um, and then be specific as to what you would like to see differently happen in the future um, and then close it with uh, how, what are your thoughts? Um, what do you, what questions do you have? What concerns do you have? And, and let them respond and give them the time and space that they need. Um, often it's, we build these things up in our head to be a lot bigger than they actually are. I mean, in my experience, um, 
whenever I've shared uh, a different kind of, you know, a boundary that was crossed and, and uh, shared that something needs to change or be different, <laughs> most times the people I'm talking to or, or communicating with via email are like, sure, great. That sounds good. That works for me too. You know, yeah. and you know, I build it up for like days and days and then I actually send the email or have the conversation and it's so like not a big deal at all. <laughs> so I, I guess, you know, that may not always happen, but, um, but allow for that to happen and no, it doesn't have to be, you know, world war three that it's, it's it, again with the intention to better the relationship with that person. So a big part of your work is helping women to articulate and share their unique story with the world. And it seems like this is really important, whether you're, you're a business owner or not, to really understand what your gifts are. So mm -hmm. for any women who are struggling to really know, you know, where their zone of genius is, how would you recommend they start figuring out maybe what makes their story unique and what they have to offer the world? Mm-hmm. Um... Well, in terms of what you have to offer the world, um, I would say it's probably going to be many different things in your lifetime. Um, for most women, it's not just one thing. Um, and then I would also say that you already know. <laughs> you know, deep down in your heart, you, you know if you get quiet and you kind of silence everything else that's going on around you and you get rid of those other voices in your head that are coming from influences either from growing up or from teachers or for, from bosses, you know, you know what you want to do and you know what you want to share with the world. And it's, often it's more about how to do it and, and getting past those fears of actually being more visible and, and sharing it with the world because, because you love it so much, because it's so important to you, it's really, it can feel very risky to bring it into light. Um, so th there was a second part of your question that I want to be able to address both of them. Um, so it's not only knowing what your gifts are, but then how to um, share that or how to communicate them. I guess, yeah, knowing what makes your story unique and how you can start to, I guess, I mean, really to share it and to become more comfortable being visible. Mm. Um, sh yes. <laughs> um, so a couple of things I would say. Uh, first of all, I think most I think we've got this by now, but just in case, um, you know, people don't want to um, purchase from, interact, or or be a part of of businesses or companies or products. They want to purchase from, interact with, be a part of other people and their lives and their work. And so that's why leading with um, your personal story and your connection to why you're doing what you're doing is so important. I mean, you can have the fanciest, you know, ad campaign in the world, but at the fundamental level, it has to connect to another human. And um, for, for most women listening to this, you're probably m more at that level of actually wanting to make that, you know, one-on-one, human-to-human connection. 
And I would say, don't be afraid of, of sharing the story and like the real reason why you're doing this work. Um, as, as, uh, as uncertain and as scary as it might be to, to share that. Um, because if, if you're not moved, um, chances are other people are not going to be moved. And, and that's what you're really wanting is you're, you're wanting to, to trigger something in, in someone and not, not a bad trigger, but usually an emotional response to the work you're sharing in the world. And that can really only happen through getting personal and having your story interweaved into everything that you do and are producing in the world. Um, and then I, I, to talk about visibility for, for a moment, um, you know, this is something that I've um, experienced and gone through myself, um, especially as a more um, as a writer, writer, and as an introverted person, and as someone who, you know, the idea of moving to a cabin in the middle of nowhere kind of sounds pretty good to me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the whole idea of visibility is kind of like, oh God, why, why would I want to do that? Um, <laughs> So, you know, what I have to remember when I think about visibility is that, you know, first of all, every project does not need to be visible. There are certain, you know, secret loves and projects and work and art that can just be for you. And that is totally fine. Um, I think nowadays we have this thing where we have to like share, we feel like we have to share everything on social media or whatever it is. And there can be a lot of pleasure in having a secret project that maybe only you and a few people know about, and it's just for you. Um, so everything does not need to be visible. Um, but if you have the sense that your work um, wants a wants to be out in the world more, like wants to actually interact with people, whether it's um, you know a piece of art that you want people to connect with or you want to help people in some way yeah you've got to be visible you can't just be creating all the time and not sharing anything um and one of the ways I think about visibility is again not on this huge scale of like I have to do it like be on tv and do a media circuit and um, like get a certain amount of visits to my website, but more is, is this work reaching the people that I want it to? And if not, how, how can I better reach those people? Um, on a, on a personal, you know, person by person, human by human, um, process, you know, it doesn't have to be 3000 people at once. It can start with, sharing something with a new person at your co-working space or um, at your bar or a friend that you already know, you know, sharing a new project with, um, that can be your visibility. Um, and, and so, you know, knowing that your, your work is important enough and your story is important enough that other people need to hear it. Um, and, and letting yourself, 
I think most women feel a lot better about being visible and sharing their work when they know it's in service to usually helping other people in some way. And and so that's kind of the the mindset mind mind mindset uh, mindset shift that I make when I'm thinking about visibility and how how much I want to be of service to people is is that's what it's really about. I think that's really great advice and I like what you said about connecting with people and sharing sharing the why behind your work and the, the story behind it. And I think that applies not just to entrepreneurs and business owners, but to anyone, you know, um, the founder of Koya, which is a movement practice that I do. Uh, Love Koya. Of- oh, do you? Oh, amazing. Yeah. So Rochelle, she <laughs> says that the two most powerful words in the English language are me too. And I think so whether mm-hmm. that's you're a mother sharing with other mothers the stories behind your motherhood or, you know, sharing stories with your friends about what you're really going through and opening up about those difficult things in your life it's it's all about creating connections and creating the opportunity for people to say me too and to not feel alone which I think is so powerful mm-hmm. I mean and just at a fundamental level that's what everyone really wants yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know it, it is so easy and simple in that way and that's what it all comes down to so when it comes to your own personal development, what are you working on learning or implementing right now? Mm. Um, well, last year was um, kind of a more internal focused year for me. Um, I didn't know that, you know, <laughs> this is only in, in hindsight, but but I really uh, had a lot of, did a lot of um I guess, yeah, interpersonal development and work and moving past some of the old stories I was telling about myself to myself. Um, and this year, I'm really feeling called to expand more um, in in bigger ways and, and push the edges of what I think um, about myself and my work and, and how I see myself being of service. Um, to other women and other business owners. And so I'm now I'm kind of feeling more called to, to expand and be more visible and and push my own um, sense of what is what is uh, safe and the world I live in to just make it make it a little bit bigger and, and see what life looks like as that happens. And, um, and on on my um I guess bigger on my own terms, not uh, not a specific dollar amount or a specific you know like number of website visitors or anything like that. But I, I want that internal sense of my my world being expanded, and and that's what I'm kind of working towards this year. <laughs> I love that. There's a quote that I love that says, "There are years that ask questions and years that answer," and it sounds like you're yes. in a year that answers. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> So something that I like to ask anyone, and it can be absolutely anything like a movement practice, a food, a tea, a book. So what's one thing that you're obsessed with these days that's making your life better? <laughs> oh, my God. So many things. Um, this is hard. Okay. Well, I mean, to be honest, uh, actually, since you brought it up, Koya is kind of rocking my world these days. Um, and um, I I danced um, as a as a girl for um 15 years um although I did ballet and you know in ballet everything is very you know rigid and there's a lot of discipline um and I love that but 
but Koya has kind of like broken open my whole sense of movement. And um, I've been able to take, you know, classes and classes even with um, Rochelle herself. And there's something about being in the body that just, it just makes everything better. I mean, I know that I make such better decisions when I'm actually um, fully embodied and, and, fully present in my body and um koya has been such a gift in that way so if anyone um hasn't already tried it there's lots of videos online and things like that and rochelle just came out with a book this year that's that i'm going through right now that's awesome so that's kind of rocking my world these days and they're gonna be some really amazing i don't think she's officially announced this yet but there's gonna be some really amazing book launch slash koya classes events um around the world happening in february so for anyone who is interesting koya is q-o-y-a and the website is koya dot love so all of the details about where classes are around the world and about those book launch classes and all these free uh, movement videos are on the website yes so for anyone who feels drawn to how can people work with you or support your work yeah so i'm um online uh my website is annaottman.com and that's one N in my first name. And uh, you can head over there and get a bunch of uh, free resources on writing. Um, and I'm also on um, all this, pretty much all of the social media networks these days. So I love for people to reach out and say hi and, um, and yeah, and start, start a connection there. Instagram actually is my personal favorite these days. Me too. <laughs> Although I am getting quite into Periscope as it's quite fun to interact with people. Ooh, yeah, I could see that for you. That would That's awesome. Um, well, I'll make sure that all of those social media and website links are in the show notes. And thank you so much. This has been such a, an interesting and fun conversation. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sarah. I'm so glad to be on your show today. I'd love to hear your thoughts on self-care. Does it feel like another item on your to-do list? How do you practice self-care? Have you found a way to naturally prioritize yourself and increase the pleasure in your life? Hop into our Facebook group at Girl Gang HQ or send me an email to hello at sarahstars.com. So you can find the show notes for this episode at sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 27. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference in helping me make big things happen with this podcast and so I can reach more people who will benefit from these conversations. You can write whatever you want in the review, so why not let me know what you're obsessed with lately or who you'd like me to interview next? Next week, I'm interviewing Evian Whitney. Evian is a writer who chronicles her journey into erotic awakening and exploration at sexloveliberation.com. In addition to writing about her sex life, she's also a sexuality doula, a person who facilitates, educates, and holds space for other women who want to step out of sexual shame and into their erotic power. This is going to be such a powerful conversation about sexual shame, healing, and pleasure. Until then, do something to get your shit together and create a life you love. <laughs>